The following podcast contains explicit language. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people. Silent Green is people! Need my sister and my daughter! Rosebud. What's in the box? And like that, he's gone. Hello, and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I'm Willa Paskin, Slate's TV critic, and this week we're going to be spoiling the latest season of Black Mirror. Here to talk with me about the television show is our tech and culture writer, Ingu Kang. Hi, Ingu. Hi. And also um, joining me is Slate Browbeat editor, Sam Adams. Hi. Hello. So... Black Mirror is a tech dystopia series um, created by Charlie Brooker, where every episode is self-contained with a distinct story, plot, cast, and I would say level of quality. Um, This show's (laughs) fourth season and its second on Netflix just arrived on the streaming service just before the new year, and we're going to spoil all of it. Um, I thought that we would basically hit on every episode and then see if there's anything we haven't touched on at the very end. I think uh, we're going to start with an episode that I thought was one of the, the worst episodes. We're going to get to Callister, but I thought we would just make you all listen to another one before we get to the episode that's actually really good. Um, so I thought we would start with Archangel, which is um, directed by Jodie Foster, who is the first woman who has ever directed an episode of Black Mirror, something to just know. <laughs> to note, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so someone, one of, one of you want to say what happens in that episode? Well, this is sort of a classic, um, you can't, discuss Black Mirror at this point in the 21st century without kind of referencing um, Mallory Ortberg's kind of classic characterization of the show as what if phones, but too much. Um, and this is, this is you know, Archangel is a what if phones, but too much episode. It's basically about um, a mother who decides to put an ampl- implant in her child's head that lets her kind of, you know, see what her child sees, hear what her child hears, and ultimately kind of control both those things as well. Like it allows her to basically kind of put a content blocker on her kid's uh, sensory nervous system. Um, Wouldn't you know it? uh, This ends up being kind of a mixed blessing, sort of the, you know, a video baby monitor uh, squared or cubed um, and, uh, and things go badly. See, this is actually what you just said is, is what my main issue with this episode was like beyond it sort of being um, predictable and a drag is that I just did not believe that anyone would do this. Like, they sort of create, um, they give you the sense that uh, the character plays by Rosemary DeWitt, who's the, the girl's mother. It's, like, very isolated. She's a single mother. She's raising her daughter with her father, who sort of dies halfway through the episode. But it's just like, this is a terrible idea. The show knows it's such a bad idea that in passing in the episode, it mentions that, like, this technology was, like, outlawed in Europe and has been discontinued because it's such a terrible idea. And... I'm not saying that people wouldn't like want to put low jacks on their kids because I'm sure that they would. I mean, they do. They do. Yeah, so. But but this thing where you're like literally turning your kid's brain on and off. Like, I just think she would have thought about it more. Like, I, I just didn't buy that. There's just thing about this whole season that made me feel like people are not as skeptical and worried about technology as like we actually all are, even as we let technology into every single aspect of our lives. Yeah, I mean, well, the people this, in I'm, Black Mirror are not watching Black Mirror. I mean, that's the problem, right? Well, I mean, that's definitely true. But I think even without Black Mirror, people would be a little bit like, what is all this stuff doing to our brains? I mean, Black Mirror didn't create that anxiety. It has capitalized on it and sort of, you know, um, exacerbated it and and given us a word to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, well, a point you made in, in your review of the season is that, like, it's just 
doesn't anybody in the world of Black Mirror ever try to put their phone down? Like, you know, we all wrestle with this stuff like so much all the time. And, and of course, we're all like addicted to technology, but we also are aware that we're addicted to it and we struggle with it. And it just seems like the characters in, in Black Mirror so often just you kind of see a shiny new bauble and jump right at it. Right. And I mean, there are those people. So maybe they're just like always the early adopters who have, are unthinking about it. Yeah. I did. I did think the thing about Archangel that was too bad is that I thought there was like a little bit of a good thing in it which I thought it's insight into actually how teens misbehave but it's really okay and it's for the best that your parents don't know about like yes. the experimentation you do because you're really fine was like very right on like all the stuff that the mom sees her daughter doing which is like having sex and and sort of doing drugs and she doesn't have the context that like the guy she's doing this with is actually sort of like basically a nice guy and and he's sort of weirded out by how provocative the girl is being and sort of like, and she's just really play acting. All that stuff was like very nuanced in their in their uh, relationship, but obviously their mom's just seeing all this terrible, like the worst version of it and freaking out. And thank God your parents can't see you at your worst moments because they really wouldn't get it. Right. I mean, as the future parent of a teenage <laughs> girl, I mean, this is definitely something that is kind of in my mind. And I think back to like the stuff that I did as a teenager that it's very good my parents don't know about. Um, and um yeah, I mean, I think that's that's one of the better parts of the episode. And I think it's, you know, for what it's worth, like this is Jodie Foster directed it really well. I really like Rosemary DeWitt's performance as the the mom and, and uh, Leslie, but Brenna Harding as her, her daughter as well. Like, I think it's just really well accomplished, but the ideas behind it are just very kind of thin. And yeah, just like the actual end beat where it's like she basically beats her mother yeah. because she's doesn't doesn't understand because she has like no feelings about doing bad because she's been content blocked forever yes well yes yeah, so yeah she's never had an experience of violence so she doesn't really know what it is and then the mom you know the the ironic ending is that by trying to keep her child holding her child too closely the mom loses her kid perhaps forever you know it was pretty lame yeah <laughs> um did you have anything else to add Ingo, about that one no you guys covered it <laughs> okay um all right so let's move on then to uss callister um which i think you know, Charlie Brooker, in a piece I read in an interview with The Times, he predicted that this was going to be the um, San Junipero of this season. And I think he was correct. This is, I think, the most liked and it's certainly like the most fun episode. I certainly liked it the most. Um, Ingo, do you want to do a little plot recaplet for us? Um, so basically, you have this Star Trek, 60s Star Trek-esque world that opens um the opens the episode with and essentially what you eventually discover is that it is this like weird game mod created by this loser CTO who has this like underdog complex, even though he's like second in command at his um, game company. And when a new female coder employee comes in, he immediately has a crush on her. And also very significantly, everyone at the company is like, stay away from that guy. And if we started the episode very sympathetic toward how he was this like beta dog in his company, you soon realize that um, after a bunch of like nonsensical things happen where a simulation of that new employee ends up in his Star Trekky game mod. Basically, everyone in the game mod turns out to be a version of his coworkers and are forced to do his bidding and also praise him forever because he is the greatest man who has ever lived. And if they don't praise him, then everything will go to hell. And eventually, the simulation of the coder woman figures out how to escape 
uh, the game mod, and he is sort of stuck in his, like, shitty little world. And you think that, oh, like, because they've escaped his world, they're super safe now. But then it turns out that the real gamer world also sucks. So basically, there's no good anything. Oh, it's funny. I actually think the ending was a little more um, ambiguous than that. And also, I would say that I think one other thing is it's not a version of them. It's literally their consciousnesses. It's, it's it's people. It's people with like exactly the brain that you and I would have just put into uh, a virtual gaming system. It's not like not people. Like that's what's so horrible about it is he's copied your consciousness that has all the feelings that you have. And then you're just stuck for eternity as his, like, slave. And then he, at the end, is stuck for eternity in his, you know, sp- in space, basically. Which, I mean, not to, you know, fact check the thing too much, but I mean, I, he's sort of, I mean, he does it by, like, replicating their DNA. But somehow that has, like, all also has all of their memories, like, right up to the <laughs> instant that he swiped it, which I don't think makes any sense. But I mean, to just move away from Callister into this this question of this technology. Again, this idea of copying consciousnesses, which has come up in earlier seasons of Black Mirror, it came up particularly in the episode White Christmas, I think it's called, yep. um, the John Hamm episode where, um, you know, we're copy like it's sort of like a version of, it's like the evil version of Alexa where like you've copied your consciousness to be your own assistant and then that person is enslaved forever, like doing your bidding, but it's really you. Um, Brooker is really enamored with this idea, I think, because it's such a clean metaphor for the whole show, which is like, we have already enslaved ourselves to technology. We are enslaving each other to technology. This is just like a really extreme version of that. It's sort of so um, extreme that it's it's not really connected to reality. So you get caught up in like, how did he actually do this? This doesn't make sense. And also the the, the real thing that we're dealing with is sort of more imperfect copying of our consciousnesses and imperfect machines, not perfect ones. Yeah, I mean, I watched this episode again uh, last night, right, right before we're taping this, and I sort of appreciated it more the second time because I was more focused on, you know, kind of the, the details of it, like the, the kind of way this, you know, Star Trek-y space fleet world is created. The performances, particularly Kristen Milotti as the the coder woman who we were talking about and, and Jesse Plemons kind of going back and forth between this real world dork and this very Shatner-esque uh, spaceship captain. Um, but it, it does, you know, there, there's a very tidy metaphor about kind of, you know, Gamergate and toxic masculinity here. And I think it's almost too tidy. Like, it, you kind of get it right away. And then the episode oh, plays it, it out. And... Well, it, I thought that, I mean, there is certainly this is just like probably written almost directly in response to Gamergate. But right. I thought that the beginning, as Ingu said, where you sort of come in from his point of view, right? Like the first scene is a Star Trek scene where he really seems like... um uh, a Captain Kirk character who is like, you know, enjoying himself a little too much, but you are sort of right. on his side and then he comes into work and you're like, oh, this poor loser. They're all being so mean to him. He's made it the whole thing work and like no one cares about him at all. They're all so rude. And then as it's sort of like these details are meted out where like everyone's sort of warning her that he sucks, but you sort of are still think that they're just being unfair. And then for it to just like flip so completely to him, not just being a loser who's not like, who's sort of like, a creeper, but to literally like kind of an evil, malevolent yeah. being who is like, uh, who's also, and I mean, this is a funny, this is also like a good Gamergate joke, I thought, which is like the, his total aversion to sexuality, like all the consciousnesses in his in his mod, like how don't have genitalia, because of course. But I didn't, I didn't believe that though. I know, I, <laughs> I know what you mean. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, like if this guy exists, which of course he does, like he is totally, I'm sorry, like raping all of his female coworkers because the point is that he's like an angry control freak. And so it 
And also, he I was just, romantically so interested in them. Like, he was romantically interested in her. That seems like a kind of, you know, several, like, a, a generation ago caricature of the sort of, like, Star Trek nerd, you know, where, you know, of course, these guys are just obsessed with, like, Star Trek, and they're not really into sex. And, like, actually, as we found out where the, you know, the internet gives people, like, leave to explore, like, all of their interests, um, that, in fact, they <laughs> these guys, like, do have sexualities, and sometimes they're pretty fucked up. Do you, and, you, know. do you think that the leaving it out was because, I mean, I just I wonder why do you think that was out? Because I feel like Brooker is not has never been like he's never been like, let's not do the more messed up thing. So sorry to jump ahead for a little bit. There is a segment in the Black Museum episode where a guy who has sort of like a sensory empathy machine thinks that he can use it for sex and ends up does using it for sex. So sex like manipulation in this uh, series is not completely absent. But I think that you're right, Willa, in that it doesn't really go all the way with that, which for me at least is kind of a blessing because I think (laughs) as depressing as the show is, I would be a lot less inclined to watch if it was just like a series of like sexual dystopias. Yes, totally. And I think think Brooker probably for this episode was, I mean, what I, I admired about this episode also is it I thought it was so effectively like a Star Trek send up and a Star Trek like warm hug. And so Star Trek doesn't have those things, does not have sex in that way. And so even though it's totally implausible, this character wouldn't be doing really wouldn't be raping all these women in his fantasy life. Um, it's sort of I think it wanted to keep kind of the tone of a Star Trek episode. And so like and that is really out of the tone of a Star Trek episode. So, I mean, I thought it was interesting because in the middle of the episode, it's sort of like kind of being really mean to Star Trek. Like you're having to think about all the stuff about Star Trek, like the, the sort of the dark side of Star Trek. But then he re- like, it really comes together where like she, you know, Captain Kirk becomes a woman, basically, like Christina Malati becomes that character. And sort of at the end, as they're trying to like get through the like little shrinking wormhole, it like is just a Star Trek episode. And I did think, you know, the last beat, as you mentioned, is them like, seeing another planet, a.k.a. another user in this game, and him actually just asking for sex. <laughs> yeah, well... And- so he, I mean, there's an awareness that's happening, and then being like, we're going off to another planet, and it's true, they'll probably encounter mostly just creepers sleep- seeking sex, but it's like, you know, it's infinite people. It's, it is like the galaxy. I mean, I think this is, I think a lot of people actually spot this cameo on the on their own because the voice is so familiar, but that, that voice you hear at the end of The Other Gamer is actually Aaron Paul. And it sounds so much like the performance that he gives on BoJack Horseman that I sort of thought there was like a little <laughs> Netflix interconnectivity there. And that was like, you know, Todd kind of, I don't know, whatever, logging onto Infinity there. But. Um, going back to the lack of genitals on this episode, I mean, as maybe unrealistic as that is, that whole sequence where Jimmy Simpson is sort of like begging against his own like lack was really funny as a sort of like the extreme plasticness of like what he has down there. Like, I like that as like a visual joke. And then also, I think the line, um, I can't remember it precisely, but Kristen Milioti has a great line about like, you did not take away my pussy or whatever. <laughs> yes, like that's, like that's the last straw for her. Yeah. Yes. And I think that, you know, it has this like, I, I guess like 2018 is maybe going to be like the year where we compare everything to The Handmaid's Tale. But I thought that was like a really great example of like this woman saying like, I need my own fucking bodily autonomy. And so I'm just like, that is like my motivation for getting there. 
which, you know, I was happy with that. And they also happy ending. They all get their their parts back in the last segment. To just be infinitely conscious in a weird world. (laughs) Although, like, at the same time, the weird sexlessness of Space Fleet was jarring for me uh, when contrasted with, like, the weird way that Kristen Miliani's character basically, like, sex blackmailed herself. Um, (laughs) I think that we were supposed to find that resourceful and clever. And for me, it just, like, felt really weird because in USS Callister and also in several of these other episodes, we're supposed to care more about the simulation of a person than the actual person. I agree with you that it's very weird that we're not supposed to care about the real people, but I I want to insist that it is not a simulation of the person. Like, that's the thing. I think that's, it is a person. Like, that is, that at least in the world of the show. Like, it's not, not, it is literally if your brain were in a game. So it's like, to treat it like it's, it's lesser than is like what so much of the evil of this, of that, is like what the evil of that episode is, basically. I, I totally get that, but it does it doesn't really work for me because I, I couldn't suspend my uh, disbelief that like a DNA sample would be used to like transfer someone's consciousness like through a lollipop or whatever. And so for me that was just like a sticking point to where I did have this barrier toward empathizing with all of the characters. And one of the one of the drawbacks of the episode for me is I, f- I do feel like it kind of punts on that issue a little bit. And I, maybe it's because they already dealt with it in the, the White Christmas episode. But I, I feel like the the question of whether or not a digital replica of someone's consciousness is actually has personhood, you know, and whether like the ethics of, of how you treat them is the same as kind of this like USS Callister just kind of does some hand waving over that. Although I think that the show, I mean. It comes up also in Black Museum and the show is like, obviously, we wouldn't know what to do about this and we wouldn't treat them like if this were possible in whatever way it's possible, we would act like these were not us. But what if it it's like it's just an AI question. It's just like another way of thinking about AI where instead of imagining it's a machine, it's actually you. But it's like not your physical corporeal being. I mean, just to go back to the idea of her blackmailing herself, I did also like the idea that. I think that often you see in sci-fi or not or sort of in time traveling things this idea that like if you encountered you you would get it. Yeah. And like that's sort of her first gambit is like I'm going to contact me and she's going to totally understand and she's going to help us. And then of course when the simulation or the the alt consciousness contacts her original self her original self is like just tells on her yeah. to the bad guy <laughs> and then he does you know turns one of them into a slabbering beast. Um, do you think we have other things to say about USS Callister or should we jump on? Can I just give like a shout out to uh, two of the performances? Um, Michaela Cole is really great. For me, the state, like the really stand-up performance was Jimmy Simpson's because he is so great at both playing like the grotesque um, <laughs> and also um, he was just like really astounding in that totally dopey storyline about his son being stuck <laughs> in the game. This, and the fact that like he was able to make that real for me, I thought was like a real accomplishment on his part. Yeah, this season is actually pretty rough about small children, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. I've been noticing. So yeah, so let's just like do one in like ten seconds. Okay. Crocodile. Hate. I <laughs> does not do not think that so basically it's a long, very grizz like it's a tale of a woman who committed a crime 
I mean, murdered someone, covered it up with someone, and then basically is going to get caught out. And so instead goes on like a heinous murder spree that ends up, she ends up murdering small children. And the sort of twist is that a guinea pig saw it. Yeah, this one just feels like I'm, I kind of keep coming back to this idea that this was, this one kind of feels like one where they lost track of whatever the metaphor was supposed to be. And then it just kind of feels like sort of, you know, sadistic and icky. And I'm not really sure that the character played by Andrea Riseborough is actually being punished for like the right thing at the end of it. And it just, it just doesn't feel like this kind of, well, like they had, they had a technology, which is like, you can, um, your memories can be visualized. And then they had like a storyline and they smashed them together and then gave it like a, bizarro twist but none of it really like was worth it yeah okay i think we're done with that one (laughs) moving on all right hang the dj um this i think is maybe like sort of widely the second most popular episode from the season and i think um i think the thing about black mirror is as much as it is dystopian um the episodes that are not (laughs) <laughs> really just dist- they're not just really uh hard to watch and and the ones that are kind of happy are often the most popular certainly that was the case about san junipero which was like the only um sort of uplifting episode of in the uh, history of the show at the time <laughs> really i mean it was it was kind of shocking to see that as a screener before it even debuted and just be like wait did is was that a black mirror with that happy ending <laughs> yeah. what happened totally so hang the dj um i think is certainly on a first watching um appears to have a happy ending. Um, I think it has some more complicated questions about the bullshit we're willing to do to ourselves um, because an algorithm says so that is not quite so happy. Um, does one of you want to limb the plot? Um, sure. This is basically about um, two a man and a woman, uh, Amy played by Georgina Campbell and, and uh, Frank played by Joe Cole, who are involved in what they refer to simply as the system. And it's basically a, uh, a thing where you kind of carry around in your hand a device that sort of looks like a Nest thermostat. Um, and it's kind of sets you up on dates. It gives you kind of a prescribed t- amount of time you're going to spend with that person, which can be 20 hours or several years. Um, and then the idea is that the system kind of eventually works and it's always, it's basically kind of you refining the algorithm every time you go on a date or go into a, a relationship. And then eventually it will match you up with a, a person and these two you know meet cute they're both kind of very you know charismatic adorable performances but they only kind of get put on this one 20 hour date and then it follows them on their you know various relationships with other people none of which seem um quite right um and some of which last for years even though it's immediately apparent that they're not right yes and then it's like is you know but the system's right so it must just be testing me by putting me with this horrible person for for a year um and then you know sort of fast forward they get put together again um there's a kind of a glitch where they agree not to check their expiration date and then he can't resist and looks at it and doing that destabilizes the system and and you know, radically decreases the time of their um relationship you know he kind of comes clean to her and then they agree to escape the system somehow and that turns out to be the final test in what the, the final twist reveals is is actually kind of all an algorithmic simulation and this is basically just going on you know this is basically just the slightly futuristic version of tinder and they're just looking at each other across a bar and um, this simulation, the whole thing has been a simulation deciding that they're, you know, 99.8% perfect for each other. And I thought the implication was that they had tried, this had happened 98 times before. Like 98 out of 100 means that they had actually met and broken through this app 
Right, algorithmically, it's really run that. that. And yeah. that means they were really made for each other. Yes, it's yeah. So it just ran like that number of iterations of their two yeah. characters. So this is totally to, not to miss the point, but in a way that you couldn't get over the tech of Callister. Like I couldn't get over the tech of Hang the DJ, where I'm just like, I get that this is all like a VR simulation or whatever the tech is. It must be happening in their minds in like an instant, and they're not u- losing like years of their life to this. Yeah. But I was just like, who even pretends to use? Like I just what. Like, isn't it years of your life if it's happening to you, even if it's you're not physically aging? Well, but you're not, it, like, feeling the simulation. It's just that, like, it's a dramatization of an algorithm. Well, and then it's just like... No, I, I, what do you mean they're not feeling... I thought that they... Similarly, it's like their consciousnesses are doing this whole thing. And I didn't it just, it just fast for us. Like, it's been... Th- it, like, we see, like, we see that three-year slog with that woman that he doesn't like, and we, like, see all the days. It's just, like, they're... They give it a montage for us because it's too boring and horrible to see. But that for the characters, it actually... All of that feels real. And that's why they're compelled to, like, do so many drastic and crazy things, including, like, escaping the Truman Show, which is sort of what it looked like. I just, like... I, I Like, for me, there was nothing in the episode to suggest that, which is, like, why it fell so flat for me. Because the whole episode is premised on rebelling against the algorithm. And then in real life, they're just, like, going along with the algorithm. And so there's just something incredibly deflating about that. And because the real-life counterparts aren't feeling the emotions that they're... Uh, simulations are feeling there's sort of this like lack of emotional investment on like both sides of reality for me so you think that that last moment when it sort of like gives like a one-up means that like the algorithm was happening without the people like the people who had paid for the app like this other thing was happening and it wasn't them it was just like an algorithm running over and over with their consciousnesses but they're not aware of it yeah that was my take that was my interpretation yeah, this feels like one for me. I mean, this is the first season of it. I might have been a, a Black Mirror fan for a long time since before it started going, going on Netflix. And it was this great sort of like cult thing that like your cool friends knew how to download. Um, and then it's, you know, become like a much bigger, you know, more widely known um, phenomenon. And it's coming out at a much rap- more rapid pace. And I've this is the season where like that, the kind of pace of that production really starts to show for me. And I, I feel like, you know, Charlie Brooker is kind of in a, in a bit of a rut and it feels like there's just a Black Mirror episode ends with a twist. So this one ends with a twist, but the twist in this episode and a couple of the other ones really kind of like destroys everything that came beforehand and really lessens it for me. Well, this one, first, firstly, I'm not sure it's the pace. I think it just might be possible that it there is a limit to how many awesomely dystopiast things about tech you can do before like maybe it should just be a tell of episode series you it's, know like, I mean, it's kind of what if black mirror but too much I mean, <laughs> right? yeah. like it's just too many episodes but um I, this this twist actually worked for me because i was annoyed by how like cute it was so i thought the <laughs> fact that it actually was like a totally fucked up world was i was like oh okay that actually sort of redeemed this because i didn't i didn't as i said like i didn't buy anything about the romance i thought they were like cute but not that cute and just like what was happening that they would agree to waste all these years of their lives, even though I think you're probably writing that the actual people, it's just like, again, they're some part of their, you know, their consciousnesses are doing it, not them, some fictional, some whatever, some part of themselves. I I just like didn't buy that. I thought it was so crazy. So I was actually happy that there was an explanation for their really weird behavior 
as, and that it made it all sort of kind of like sour and messed up. Yeah, I mean, as as a an admitted sap, like I kind of liked the, the romance part of it, but I also am someone who, through the grace of God, has never sort of experienced what seems to me the inestimable horror of online dating. So um, <laughs> I think I made, you know, not, you know, visceral relate to that part of it in the same way. Um, do you have anything else to say about that one? I think that's it. All right. Um, Nettlehead? I thought this was actually the second most effective episode of the season, but it also had a super lame last minute twist that it just shouldn't have had. Yep. Okay. Uh, Who, uh, so I'll, <laughs> I'll say the plot of this one. So this one is shot all in black and white. It's set in a, you know, near future where something we do not know, but like terrible has happened and the world seems really terrible and dystopian. We don't know the details. And, um, like a three humans are go we see them sort of trying to get into a warehouse to get something where in- its implication is to help a sick person feel better or like you know have less pain in his dying moments and there they uh, encounter basically like a a mechanical it's almost like a dog and um a group of them and these this pack of mechanical dogs Kills two of them, and then basically there's like a, 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 a man and machine, man and dog, like face off, but it's a woman and a machine um, through like the wilderness, and they're basically having like a mano a mano fight. And uh, she out, tries out, like she ends up in a tree for long periods of time. It's sort of actually kind of quiet and like, oh, it's a one, it's a one person show. It's like a one person piece. And basically, uh, of course, she um, seems like she's going to triumph whatever that means, which means return to her little enclave of humanity and then um, ultimately fails and is is killed by a pack of metal do- metalhead dogs. And then we learn at the very end that the thing they were trying to get at the beginning was a teddy bear yes. and that the kid, that the person they were trying to help was a, a dying child. And it's, that's either like so, it's so dumb actually that it, it's just so dumb to take that risk. <laughs> And actually, the only way that I can justify it is in the episode, one episode we haven't talked about, Black Museum, there's an entire storyline about uh, teddy bears that have implanted with consciousnesses and like it's torturous. And I was like, unless those are like conscious teddy bears, like unless those were like people in there. That was really so. I'm sort of pretending that that's actually what happened. And it's not just like dumb teddy bears. Uh, to, to to follow up on uh, me being a sap, um, I kind of liked the the twist at the end of this. Damn. I know that you, oh. if only you could see Willa rolling her eyes at me right now. I'll have to put a in, put that on Instagram somehow. But um, no, I mean I sort of because the rest of the episode is so bleak. I mean it's beautiful. It's directed by David Slade, who I mostly know from um, doing you know some of the great episodes of Hannibal. It's in black and white. It's got all these sort of dissonant like Christoph Pendereski uh, compositions laid through it and it's just basically like you know the world is fucked it's been overrun by these you know kind of killer metal dogs which uh, we never like find out somebody had a very bad idea to create them at some point um this is sort of like a you know basically a kind of late period terminator scenario where the the machines are on the verge of wiping out humanity um and there's this opening conversation about this person who we don't know who it is and we need to get something to help them. And you think they're getting medicine or something or just something to kind of or like an opiate or something to kind of ease their their dying uh, agony. And then the idea that it's kind of a teddy bear for a child is, yes, like completely corny. But I I, I like the kind of, you know, it's it's the defies logic. It, it, it's like one of those like Linda Hamilton speeches about hope in the Terminator trilogy. Like it just has that except kind of corny that, resonance. Right. Except like. 
failed stupid hope everyone died they didn't even get the teddy bear i mean the thing is that like kids will play with literally anything so if you gave them like a stick and told them it was a teddy bear they would have gone for it i don't understand why two people had to die three people three people three people she dies too and they don't even get the bear literally everyone we see yeah. yeah, I but felt I, like this was such a waste of Maxine Peake, who I think is an incredibly underrated actress. And I was so excited to, for her to have this like one woman show and then for it to be this episode. That, that was sad. I actually I liked this episode. I mean, I thought the twist didn't actually ruin it. I just thought it was sort of like very taut and sort of like detailed and granular and kind of interesting. Like, I think it's, it's just, maybe the shortest episode ever. I mean, it's it's certainly you know, because things tend to bloat on Netflix. Yeah. So having like a 40 minute episode of what's usually about an hour or show is pretty noteworthy. Yeah, I just I thought it sort of worked for me as like her trying to escape from this, from these from these, you know, creatures, these beasts, these. Machines. I think atmospherically it was really, you know, it was gorgeous and it was very tense. And that car chase at the beginning of the episode, that was really something um, in terms of filmmaking because of all of the interesting uh, slow-mos and then like the fast cuts uh, that they do. And then I just found it increasingly hard to care, yeah. uh, which is made to be like my damage. But <laughs> I, I was just like, well, I mean, you could have had two teams and then you basically could have had like a sacrificial team and then a second team could have gone in and like raided that <laughs> warehouse. And so what is the point of this stupid chase? Like it's when you say like, it's like a dog with a bone, like that dog is dumb because it should be focusing on guarding the warehouse. Yeah. Um, can I ask I mean, so we don't end, end this on too negative a note. Cause I actually, I don't think I'm familiar with Maxine peak. So can you recommend some like further Maxine peak watching? Um, there is a tiny Irish movie that I first saw her in. Um, it's directed by Steph Green and it's called Run and Jump. And it's basically about a woman dealing with her um, husband having a stroke. And this woman dealing uh, with sort of like the ramifications. It's a very small, quiet movie. And she's just completely emotionally magnetic in it. Um, and also it stars Will Forte, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's hit the last one, which is Black Museum, um, which has sort of the most intricate story structure. I think it really is a companion piece to White Christmas, which has a similar sort of three-in-one story structure with like each story leading up to a story for the narrator. Or um, And so in this episode, a young Black woman whose car appears to have lost its that it's electricity goes into a, a rest stop museum that's sort of abandoned and uh, um, kind of overly friendly and a little creepy museum proprietor shows her around. And it's basically like a museum of tech freak show stuff. And and as he tells her the story of various devices, like we see them. So there's an initial story that we mentioned already about um, a doctor who sort of um, could wear like got implanted to wear this sort of cap that could let him feel what his patients were feeling so he could help diagnose them. And then um, it skitzed out when he was wearing it when someone died and he became um, totally turned on by pain and starts to, uh, you know, want to be around people who are hurt, hurt, like in pain, and then eventually turns into a, you know, killer, like a, a, you know, a freaky, he starts hurting himself, then, you know, goes out and starts uh, putting um, 
drills in homeless people's heads while they're wearing these caps so he can feel them die. I mean, really, as you do, debased yeah. totally. <laughs> uh, and then we get another episode, and, and the and the narrator, uh, so the guy who owns the museum, is like in my past, le- like in my past job at like it's actually Junipero Hospitals, which is a shout out to San Junipero. Um, I was like R and D, and I was a salesman for all this terrible shit. And it, we're clearly like learning he has no values at all. He convinces a a woman who. Um, was in a vegetative state to have her consciousness implanted in her husband so that she can, like, see her son. But then she, of course, just um, is, you know, like in a being John Malkovich way, but like or inside out. But like when the person can actually talk to you, just starts to annoy the shit out of him. And uh, he basically starts to ignore her. And it's she's just like caught in his brain. And then he puts her in a teddy bear. And then she can only say, like, mommy loves you or no. And it's just stuck. An actual human brain is just stuck in this teddy bear for eternity. And there's the teddy bear. And then in the third in- instance, he basically talks about how he um, he basically show- this this episode is also about race in a way that Black Mirror is not usually. Um, and this is called Black Museum, not just because it's like dark, but I think because it's about race. Uh, he basically has taken the consciousness of a man who was on death row because the man wanted to provide for his family. And he's essentially like, let's people electrocute this person over and over again. But again, this is like. In the, in the logic of the show, this is actually his consciousness. Like, this is actually a human being with feelings that is being m- killed again and again and again. And they can get, like, little keychain souvenirs of him screaming we're, in pain to take we're them in forever. that keychain, that consciousness is feeling that pain for eternity again and again and again. And then the final um, sort of reveal is that the woman he's been talking to this whole time is actually the daughter of the prisoner who's being executed over and over again. And she... Uh, juices up her dad so much that he actually gets to die and then she does the exact same thing to the proprietor of the museum because she's poisoned him and she takes his consciousness and puts it eternally in the electric chair on her keychain and rides off and burns the place down and then her mom yeah. is also in her brain yeah like, <laughs> that was an amazing summary <laughs> okay there was a lot of stuff that happened in that episode um what'd you guys think uh. <laughs> <laughs> we can leave it there that sums it up yeah i i mean um you know it's funny actually it's just an interesting thing about black mirror which is true about everything which is like the tone in which the episodes are embarked upon no matter what the content is really does affect how disturbing i find them to be so like this actually had a kind of like jocular tone even as it got more and more creepy so i found it like less disturbing to watch even though a lot of the stuff in it is way more disturbing um than in other episodes just because something about it was like a little cartoonish i mean i I really for me so much of why this episode falls flat and i think it's um i don't know maybe tied with with crocodile but i think this is probably the worst one in this in this season um like the central performance um douglas hodge as rollo haynes i think is just really lousy like he i mean he's a British actor doing this very kind of strong, like, you know, uh, uh, it's like um, almost like a P.T. Barnum of like, yeah, creep shows. And he's doing this like kind of Bob Hoskins and who framed Roger Rabbit American accent. This is really kind of, you know, like nasal hard bitten thing that I, I think a lot of times when like, you know, particularly English actors kind of try to do that. It just like takes all the nuance out of their performance because they're so locked into this kind of register that they can't really express anything. It just, it just, it just, yeah, it just feels like a really kind of over the top caricature and just. But that was like the whole episode to me was just yeah. like a caricature. I didn't mind it because I thought it was, I just thought that's what the episode kind of was. Like it was just sort of cartoonish. Yeah. And, and I guess, I mean, like in the three parts, like, I mean, the last one is kind of clearly the most, 
interesting. Like people have already kind of written about how this ties into this history of kind of, you know, commodifying black suffering in the U.S. But I kind of don't like that doesn't seem to have very much to do with the first two parts of it. There's and there are different uses or kind of of sort of related technologies, but but thematically, like they just don't. Um, it feels like, and actually the first third is based on a, like a Pendulette short story from like 30 years ago called The Pain Addict. Um, so that really is from a different source, but it just doesn't, like it, the whole thing just does not fit together for me. Yeah, I think that's right. Ingo, other than eh, was there anything? <laughs> I mean, I think that there are like interesting ideas sort of like woven into the margins of this episode. I was really disappointed by all of the storylines. Um, but I kind of like the idea that like our new urban legends basically are these like technological dystopias. Um, and I thought it was interesting that in this episode and I think in the Archangel mother daughter, like looking into your daughter's mind episode, there's this idea that like um, you have these biotech companies who are uh, sort of like going ahead and try and basically using civilians as experiments and then government catches up later and as someone who is uh, looking at tech you know like there are aspects of that where i'm like yep if this were going to happen this is exactly how it would happen and the fact that you know these giant corporations or in this case like a pharmaceutical company is preying on people's vulnerabilities in order to get them to consent to becoming like the beta testers of these technologies. I thought all of that was, was really strong. It's just that like the tiny little stories that make a black museum are, <laughs> I don't know, like it, you can tell that like they're trying to go for like the gut punch and just like waiting for that particular gut punch becomes this like really grueling game because you know it's going to come and they keep, trying to punch you as hard as they can. And because you're already expecting it, like it just doesn't land because it always turns out so predictable each time. I did. I think also just we're going to maybe this will be a good segue to talking sort of more largely about the season. Um, but as I said, when we were talking about Archangel with this episode as well, I felt a little bit like the technology is like it's too advanced in a way that I think doesn't like actually um, – has the, sh has the show jumping over things that are, would be much more interesting to think about. Like, I, I keep thinking about the episode, um, sort of the famous episode, I'll Be Right Back. Is that what it's called, Sam? Uh, yeah, Be Right Back. I'll yeah. Be Right Back. Um, with Haley Atwell uh, and Tom Hall Gleason that was in one of the early seasons where uh, she loses her partner and she sort of um, orders a, 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 a version of him that is animated, not perfectly, but by like all of his electronic correspondence, by his emails and his social media presence. And obviously that person is imperfect. It's not her like her lover. It's a version of him. And that episode is amazing and and is really about how our online selves are not exactly ourselves, even though they're a, a representation of ourselves or a part of ourselves, but they're not our complete selves. And that seems so much more like in tune with what is hard and strange and bizarre about existing both on the internet and in real life right now. Whereas like an episode like Black Museum sort of suggests, as do so many of the texts in the season, that what that we actually uh, can be exactly replicated in all of these other locations, like that our consciousness can be just taken and put in all these different 
places and it's it's always us. And that's like, I mean, that might be kind of interesting or it might, as I said, like talk, be the, the metaphor that Brooker sort of is interested in exploring. But like, that's not really what it feels at all like to be dealing with technology right now. And it's like, it's almost like out, it's, it's like gotten ahead of itself. And I would, yeah, would because- just go back to something more basic where like there's all this real like gritty weird stuff to explore. I think when I was first watching Nosedive uh, last year, I was really disappointed by it. Uh, Nosedive is the episode starring uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, where like everything in your life is based on your social media rating. And the fact that like your social media rating is actually not a very good reflection of who you are or the person that you are trying to be. And the fact that like the more you try to raise your social rating, like the more it flounders. Like I thought that was a really great observation because of the ways that technology is a really imperfect counterpart to our actual lives. And that sort of like social relevance, I guess, is like really missing in these new episodes. I also agree that Black Mirror is definitely most interesting when it's talking about like a near future other than like a super future or a far away future where everything is supposed to work as it's designed to be. You know, so this season was the first season that there was no episode set in the present, basically. I mean, there have been a lot of episodes like that. There was, or, you know, the very first episode with the pig, which is, I think, I mean, people don't all love it, but I think that episode's amazing and basically sort of could happen now, except that they can't find the person who's doing the blackmailing or the Waldo effect or even the episode last season that was really brutal, but um, where the kid is being blackmailed and then at the end you find out it's, and to like do all those crimes and he is... um, like a pedophile. A pedophile, yes. yes. Yep. <laughs> um, so, but all of those episodes are not set. They're set in the world now, basically. Like, um, and and the, and this felt like everything was just not at all set in the world now. I mean, I think like you know, Archangel is like pretty the closer the closest. But yeah. yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. You don't feel like that in the season. Or- I mean, do you just? I just part of me just thinks. I don't know how long can a show like this reasonably go on. And is it just like diminishing returns or like, I mean, I'm, you know, there could be a next season. I'll be like, I was all wrong. All six of those episodes are great. And it's not like every season, you know, the first two seasons of Black Mirror are only three episodes and it's not like all three of those are always great. You know, they're, they're, they've, they've often been very provocative and interesting, but there's always been some um, difference in quality from episode to episode. But this is the first time that I was just like, I know you have all this money. I know you can have money forever. But, like, it's hard to just come up with really great ideas over and over again. Especially with, effectively, like, only one writer. I mean, yeah. apart from yeah. those dive, Charlie Brooker's written every every episode of the season yeah. or every episode of the series. And that's a lot of – and as you mentioned, I mean, they're unconnected. Like, he's starting from scratch every time. And that's a lot of ideas to come up with. Yeah. Maybe give the – maybe hand over the writer's room to – or, like, have a writer's room. I think that would be helpful, um, especially because I think one reason why – there are parts of Black Museum that work for me with regard to the storyline about like the Black uh, death row prisoner is that it is no longer taking place in like a post-racial like utopia dystopia. And <laughs> I think the it, I, I, I think if we were to explore more about like how particular technologies affect different groups of people in different ways. The show could really be more interesting in a way that like, it just isn't for me right now because it always assumes a sort of 
uh, basic default character and who is sort of like going through life without a particular position in society. And if they were allowed to sort of like talk about like how technology doesn't affect everyone in the exact same way, the show could really find like a new lease on life. I think that's astute. And they should listen to you and do that next season. Um, Do it, Charlie Brooker. I know you can hear me. (laughs) Um, So I think that that's it, right, from us? That seems to, yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to us at spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Daniel Schrader. Uh, For Sam and Ingu, I'm Willa Paskin. Thanks for listening.